Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host Ashutosh Garg and today I'm delighted to welcome a very accomplished entrepreneur from Seattle, USA, Ashi Vel. Ashi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ashutosh. Thank you. Uh, Ashi, Ashi is the co-founder and co-CEO of Traveling Spoon. Uh, an organization that is creating meaningful travel experiences. Uh, she's an industrial designer and a patent holder. So Ashi, let's first try and understand your journey mm-hmm. from industrial design to travel to cooking classes. Tell me about this journey. It's a pretty natural journey, Ashutosh. I know what you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> no, so yeah, it all starts. I grew up in Chennai. In the Mm -hmm. south of India and much against my parents' wishes who wanted me to pursue engineering or medicine or even Mm -hmm. business, I decided I wanted to become an industrial designer. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was just the quintessential blend of art and science. And I won a scholarship to attend school in the US and Mm -hmm. studied industrial design and graduated first in my class and then worked for over a decade as an industrial designer designing award-winning and life-saving medical devices and um, consumer devices as well. So everything from a portable liquid oxygen generator for Philips, for which I own a patent, to the very first hydro-powered eco shower light for Osram Sylvania. And it was really a meaningful career. It was gratifying to be able to, you know, develop products that improve the quality of people's lives. And I loved it, but I was always very passionate about food and travel mm-hmm. and I any chance I got you know when I had vacations or a break I would travel and explore new cultures and new lands and that probably came from my parents who also were avid travelers and wanted us to see the world as much as they could mm-hmm. and when um, like about 10 years into being a designer I decided you know what I'm going to start a company a food company and so I applied to business school Mm -hmm. and went to Berkeley and right before starting Berkeley so let's say March the spring of 2011 Mm -hmm. I was in Mexico in Playa del Carmen which is part of the the Yucatan Peninsula Mm -hmm. and whenever I travel to a new country for me one of the top things I must do is try the local food and don't get me wrong I love a wonderful restaurant and you know but like really getting to taste authentic local food was something that I would really, I really cherished and would look for. And on this trip, for the life of me, I just couldn't find authentic Mexican food. The restaurants Mm. that came highly recommended from friends um, were, you know, beautiful restaurants, bohemian chic restaurants, but the food itself catered to a Western palate. Mm. And even the ones that I read on reviews that got really high ratings just seemed crowded and touristy. And I knew Mexico had great food, but I was struggling to find, you know, really good, um, authentic Mexican food. And I still remember one day on my way to yet another restaurant, I was walking down the street and I looked at this house and I peered through the window for some reason. And I saw this woman cooking. Mm -hmm. I was like, ah, that's what I want. I want to eat with her and hear her stories. And that's when the genesis of Traveling Spoon happened for me. Now, fast forward a few months later, I was in business school and over an orientation barbecue, I ended up meeting my co-founder now, Steph Lawrence, and she and I just instantly bonded and our mm-hmm. shared passion for food and travel. And 
her story was that she was living in China a few years before that, before school. Mm-hmm. And on her bucket list of things to do was to learn how to make dumplings from a Chinese grandmother. Wow. And she couldn't find that. And mm-hmm. so we joke about it that, you know, she really wanted to learn to cook in a local's home. And I just wanted to eat with a local in their home. And so we decided to yeah. work on it together and see wow. where it took us. And school was a wonderful sandbox to really just explore the idea and you know get input from colleagues and other MBA students and um, professors and anyone who we would meet would be like you know what do you think and give us your feedback and give us your thoughts and that's where we started our first MVP so what's called a minimum viable product which is mm-hmm. the test that you take to see if your idea is even worth it and so uh, I knew that a group of students were going was going to India uh, on an MBA trek. And so I reached mm-hmm. out to the leader of the group and I said, hey, would you guys be interested in having a meal with a local? And within a couple of hours of sending that email, everybody wanted it. Like, okay. they were like, yeah, this sounds great, we would love it. And so I was like, oh, okay, I don't need to get a host then because <laughs> this was just us trying to figure out <laughs> if there was interest and yeah. they were willing to pay for it. And so I said, okay, so I, you know, got onto social media and tried to find, uh, I found a friend whose in-laws, uh, a friend's friend whose in-laws were in Cochin and just loved cooking and were really excited to have, you know, MBA students in their home. Mm-hmm. And so they opened up their house and the students that went on this trip came back and said that it was one of the best things that they did on the entire trip. It was wow. like the highlight of their trip. Mm. For the first time they were invited into someone's home they learned about their culture. So these were, you know, Syrian Christians who were living in Cochin and they had mm. never even known like that existed. Mm. Um, their food is very different. It was very different from anything that they ate at restaurants. Uh, they went into the kitchen to help, you know, Rochi make appams and all of these things. And so it was just a really eye-opening experience and food was that catalyst that allowed them to really understand the culture, right. open up and share stories. And so that, you know, was sort of the, the first point and we just sort of took off from there. And then when we graduated in 2013, Steph and I knew that this is what we wanted to do. It, mm-hmm. uh, it was a real pain point that travelers felt like that lack of authentic experience when they traveled. Um, you know, it's great to see landmarks when you travel and, mm-hmm. and discover new things, but meeting the people, for me, that is the power of travel, right? When you visit a completely different part of the world and meet Mm. a local there and over a meal realize that despite the cultural differences or the regional differences, we're all the same. We're all humans. We share the same values. And Mm. that's what food gets people to do. And that for me is really powerful. And that's what makes a meaningful experience. So we started Traveling Spoon, which is uh, an online marketplace that connects travelers with private food experiences in people's homes around the world. Everything from uh, a homemade meal to a cooking class and meal or a market to a cooking class and meal. And more recently, uh, we've got producer tours where you can go to a host's home mm-hmm. in Modena, for instance, which is the capital of balsamic vinegar making in Italy and go up to the to her you know, roof and see how the barrels of vinegar are being distilled down mm-hmm. and learn about her family's history. And then my favorite part, you come down and she has this big picnic table and you taste balsamic vinegar and everything from gelato to you know, a piece of bread and prosciutto. So it's just a wonderful way that food gets people to, to connect. Amazing, amazing. And you know, this we'll, we'll talk about the, the trips that you curate, but mm-hmm. the hosts who must be receiving all these guests. I mean, it's a very proud moment for them to display their own food skills. 
Absolutely, Ashutosh. It's one of the things that makes me so excited about the company is that I knew, you know, that guests would have a really meaningful experience and memorable, a memorable trip. But the reasons why our hosts wanted to be hosts was mm-hmm. so refreshing to me. And it totally depended based, based on which region we were in. So in India, for instance, most of our hosts are women in their 60s and 70s mm-hmm. um, who've never, you know, who've cooked their whole lives and are exceptional at their craft and their mm-hmm. art of cooking. And they love it. And they cook for their families and their friends and their in-laws. But now they get a chance in their 60s to become micro entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. making money, doing what they love and showing off what they do really, really well okay. and express themselves that way in in Japan, for instance, we have a host and, um, you know, she is married to an architect and their home is really beautiful and modern. And, and then we asked her, you know, why do you want to be a host? And she said that she grew up in Tokyo with three siblings. And her whole life, they never met a single foreigner. Like growing mm-hmm. up. And now she wants her children to meet kids from, from, you know, other parts of the world and be exposed to other cultures. And this is her way of being able to do that. Wow. It gives our hosts a chance to connect with, you know, with the world, to to feel a sense of belonging, to really be cultural ambassadors of their region. Mm. Through food. Um, and also, you know, in Vietnam, for instance, they said they want to practice speaking English. So this is mm. a great way for them to do it. So everything from, you know, just having a shared connection to making this a source of their income uh, were the varied reasons why hosts wanted to be hosts. And, and that for us was just terrific. At the end of the day, as long as you're passionate about sharing your food and your culture and your story, you know, that's what we're looking for. When we're looking Fascinating. For Fascinating. So, you know, uh, my next question, uh, Ashi, is that uh, when people sign up to do a, a culinary trip with the Traveling Spoon, what are some of the challenges you face? Oh, so many. <laughs> but first, you know, it's always, I think marketing is one of the hardest things to do when mm. you run a travel company. Because yeah. whenever I tell people about Traveling Spoon, they always are so excited about it. They're like, this is wonderful. I would love to do it. But they're saying, you know, I'm leaving in six months to go to, you know, Bangkok. And yeah, I'll try you then. But by the time that has happened, they've either forgotten about, you know, the company and it just this so many decisions and things to mm-hmm. that happen and or i'll meet someone and they're like oh, i just got back from buenos aires i wish i knew about traveling spoon mm-hmm. so getting to travelers at the point of their decision making is one of the biggest challenges of owning right. a modern travel company i'd say you know that that easily for mm-hmm. us what i think we did really well was we personally vet every single one of our hosts Okay. This is a food experience and a human experience. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, just safety and security was an ultimate priority for us. And so every single host that's on our platform is vetted. So we don't lose sleep over the type of experience that someone's going to get or, you know, the food. And so that was sort of our linchpin. It was the quality of our hosts uh, really made for these experiences to be just memorable experiences, like once in a lifetime experiences. Fascinating. Fascinating. And, uh, you know, like all travel businesses, the last 18 months must have been oh. tough. <laughs> uh, oh, you don't say. Yeah. What, is, what has been your experience? And is, is, uh, do you see a revival beginning to happen now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in April of last year, mm-hmm. uh, we just, it was a humbling moment. We saw 
cancellations just build and revenue just dropped to yeah. nearly zero. And, you know, it was just, uh, it was scary. It was a scary mm. time. We didn't, mm. you know, the biggest reason being, we just didn't know how long this was going to go mm. for, right? How do you plan for something you have no idea about? Right. And so what we did were, you know, were three things. So one, we just made sure we cut our costs wherever possible so that we had, you know, cash that allowed us to survive however long this was yeah, for the immediate future. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing we did is, you know, so many of our hosts were dependent on Traveling Spoon for their income and we really felt responsible for them. And so we very quickly started this host emergency grant fund where it was incredible. We had investors, guests, you know, supporters, every one of the team just made donations and we sent that money to our most at-risk hosts to ensure that, you know, for the next three to six months or however long that money lasted them, it would give them some sense of security. And then the third thing we did was quickly pivot to also offering online cooking classes, which has been the lifeline of the business for the past, you know, year now, is within four weeks, I want to say, of the pandemic starting, we had offered, we offered about 25, five classes that were private online cooking classes. I knew that people were going to be stuck at home. And what do you do when you're stuck at home? You cook a lot more and you're going to want to learn to cook. And, you know, you feel just you needed a sense of escape. And what better way than to meet somebody from a, you know, from another part of the world and learn to cook with them, albeit virtually. And so we quickly, within six weeks, we had 100 plus private cooking classes on the platform. We now have over like 170, I want to say. And what that really did, besides, you know, creating a life, blind for the business was got our host to continue to be engaged with the right. platform and with people. I remember a host saying, Ashley, I love my husband, but I'm so tired of only talking to him. Can I please talk to other people? <laughs> um, you know, and so this was her way of being able to continue yeah. her, her craft and also giving people that sense of connection. And mm-hmm. so many guests would say this was a highlight of quarantine for us. And what, for me, what was really wonderful was to see that even though it was virtual, people were still able to make that really meaningful connection. Mm. Uh, the hosts and guests felt like they had friends and they're like, you know, we had planned a trip to Italy, but now we've had to, you know, postpone it, but I will definitely come and see you. Even though they've taken a cooking class, they wanted mm. to still go and meet with them in person, which was wonderful. And also for me, I think what it did was really democratize food travel, right? So now for the first time you could spend, at that time it was, you know, much less, but for now $40, you can meet with somebody in Ulaanbaatar and Mm. learn to make noodle soup in a cup with them, you know? And I don't think we could have done that before. And this has allowed that for me is the silver lining is that people can now connect with others and in an affordable way, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to, you know, to fly and have a huge carbon footprint uh, to be able to have that experience. Uh, Of course, nothing compares to being there in person, but the Mm. fact that you can still make that connection, you can learn about their food, learn about their, their history and culinary traditions and, um, you know, food recipe preservation was really important to us. So this continues to do that. Fascinating, fascinating. And, you know, again, if you look at the travelers, the millennials and the Gen Zs, most of them are looking for experiences right now rather mm-hmm. than, you know, big hotels, etc. Mm-hmm. How important is food as a part of experiences? 
we have certainly seen it become more and more important. So when we first started, it was millennials and older luxury travelers, right? Those are, that was our split demographic. Millennials, because as you said, really interested in experiences, connecting with the world in a really unique way. And older luxury travelers, they'd you know, been to Paris and London, but now they wanted to see it through different eyes. They wanted mm-hmm. to have a deeper sense of you know, what travel meant to, uh, to them in that area. But we're starting to see a wide range of travelers now, everybody from, you know, people now, even in their young college students who are like, oh, we would love to do this. And, you know, yeah, they want a student discount. Like, absolutely, (laughs) we would love for you to try it. And we're also, pre-pandemic, we would see families traveling too. And for families, it was great because, you know, often when you have kids and you're not quite sure how they're going to be at a restaurant, it's a little bit, tense right you know they're going to be running around knocking things over but when you're in someone's home who also has kids who are around the same age then you just feel like oh they can play together and the adults can have a conversation and it actually really opens up gives you that freedom to to really um sort of lay back and and open up and and share you know food and cuisine so it certainly has allowed uh, a much wider group of people to to be able to experience um, these experiences. And then what we've tried to do is really, you know, try as much as possible to offer a mm-hmm. wide range. So everything from a $12 meal on the rooftop in Mysore to a $250 meal with uh, this, you know, wonderful couple in Iceland who are opera singers and mm-hmm. open up their home for this really lovely meal that includes delicious morsels of lamb. But um, yeah, so, you know, it's everything that from, again, 10 to 250 bucks or more. You know, as I'm hearing you speak, you almost seem to be creating an Airbnb of uh, culinary experiences. I mean, you know, different homes go there, create, get yeah. the food. It's, it's a fascinating. <laughs> it is for, you know, if you're private yeah. and personally vetted experiences. Absolutely. Yeah, we started, Airbnb has, you know, certainly sort of led the way for people realizing that they can stay in homes and, and trust hosts. And, yeah. you know, that really opened up and technology also allowed us to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you can connect with your host beforehand and really know a little bit more about them and vice versa host to, you know, to be able yeah. to see your social profile and make sure, yeah, this is somebody I would like to invite into my home. So while they are strangers, they're still, it's not complete strangers. They mm-hmm. know something about you and our hosts have the, the, the chance to to say you know no i'm not quite sure this is um the right time for me to host you yeah. know somebody and they have you know full sort of liberty for who they host and when fascinating so one more question for you uh, on traveling spoon and classes and your cooking classes before i move to the next segment um what are the some of the top few destinations that uh, you know based on your experience you are looking at yeah so it's interesting. I would think people would assume that our top destinations will be mainstream destinations like, you know, your Paris and mm-hmm. Vegas and New York and, you know, Rome and Florence. But I'd say pre-pandemic, our top destinations were actually Bali, which I'll you know, tell you a story about because it's an incredible experience and you then understand why. Uh, Beirut, surprisingly, right? Um, Tokyo, Kyoto, uh, Jaipur. And uh, the reason being, we started in Asia because for me, you know, when we started, you could get a wine tour in France or a cooking class in Italy, no problem. 
But being able to go into a local's home in Asia and learn about their culture and their food in a really authentic, non-touristy way was something you couldn't find. And so for me, that was important to be able to give people that chance to explore the rich hospitality and the traditions of, of Asia. And so we started in Asia, which is why we have a big presence there, but also because we were always about finding and discovering the most authentic food that ended up also happening in secondary cities, right? Like your Modena and your Bolognas of the world. And because, you know, that's people are from everywhere and it's not just the cities that are cooking. And so grandmas would be living in, you know, these secondary destinations. And what's been another silver lining for us is post pandemic, those are the cities that are doing really, really well. So Bologna, Modena, some of these secondary destinations because people want to get away from the crowds. They want to, what we're seeing as trends is they actually want to go to a place and stay put for a while and really understand the, the culture and the, and the region in a more rich and in-depth way, which back in the day, back in the day, pre-pandemic, uh, it was more about mainstream travel. Right. And, and the big issue uh, with travel then was over tourism, right? Cities were losing their culture because there's so many people throbbing um, these cities, thronging these cities. And so now I think it's just great that people are exploring uh, both cities and towns and regions around where they live because, you know, flying is still scary um, because of COVID. And uh, but also when they do travel, they tend to stay put and they find these destinations where they can be at for, for a longer time. So it's certainly been helpful that we've been in these other destinations as well. Wonderful. So I feel oh, and then yeah. the go quick ahead, story I wanted to tell yeah. you about Bali, just to you know paint a picture for what the experience is like, is and this is one of uh, one of our top hosts, Deva, who lives in Bali, and the experience starts with a with a tour through his garden. So he used to be a gardener at, at a local resort before. And he takes you through the garden and you, you know, see all of these tropical fruits and herbs and vegetables. And he talks to you about the medicinal properties of, of it all. And then I remember being in the garden and looking up and seeing this bright red orange papaya on the tree. And I was like, Deva, why are we not eating that right now? <laughs> it's still on the tree. And, you know, he responded, he was like, Ashi, in Bali, we believe that you only take what you need for the day. So this morning, we had two ripe papayas, and we took one, and we saved the other one for the monkeys to eat and spread the seed. And to me, I was like, wow, what a deep respect and all of that, yeah. right? Yeah. We learned to, went into his home, and his wife, Jiro, showed us how to cook um, this delicious Balmese meal on a wood-fired stove. And I still remember these corn fritters, which are a remnant of the Dutch colonial times, right? So it's corn fritters that they made, but they made it Balinese by adding ginger and galangal and lemongrass and all these freshly ground spices. And so it's just a wonderful window into seeing how people live. And they were certainly one of our top hosts and he hurt his back, you know, a few years after that. And he started hosting solely for Traveling Spoon. And he, I remember still like him, you know, we were on the phone and he was like, Ashi, I just want to say thank you to Traveling Spoon. And I was like, no, no, don't thank me. Like we thank you. You're one of our biggest revenue generators. And he said, no, because of Traveling Spoon, I can now send my kids to school. You know, he is now making, pre-pandemic making 10 times what he was making um, in Bali as a local gardener. So it's just been a way to 
for him to uplift his family and for us to, you know, show his wonderful culture and cuisine to the world. Incredible. So, uh, Ashi, I have time for two more questions for you. Um, from an industrial engineer to travel to cooking, and I'm sure you've got a book coming out soon sometime on all these experiences. What does success mean to you from where you stand today? For me, I would say it's a balance of three things, right? Being able to keep my mind, my spirit, and my body alive and mm-hmm. active. Uh, you know, I, if I'm intellectually challenged and doing something that is really meaningful from a work perspective, if I'm feeling healthy and eating well and have the time to be active, and spiritually, if I'm, you know, just emotionally involved in my family and my children and my friends' lives, um, I feel like that is success. Because if I, you know, pinpoint one thing and then you, you get it, success is always such a moving target in today's mm-hmm. day. Like everyone's mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's next. And once you get that, what's after that, and then you're never really going to feel success. Mm-hmm. And so I, and it's, and it's, it's hard, it's hard to get that balance in life, but for me, you know, there are certain diff- definitely different times in life when you do achieve it and other times when you're trying to achieve it. And so for success for me, certainly the balance of mind, body and spirit. Wonderful. And my last question to you, which is a follow up question from success. Who or what inspires you to keep doing such amazing things? I'd say, I'd say three, three things inspire me if I really were to think about it. One is my mother. My mother is both a combination of someone who's incredibly warm and kind and generous, but also whip smart. And it's just great to have her as a role model in my life. She was, you know, one of the first women who was on a motorbike in Pune, who, you know, worked, who, uh, you know, started, worked with my dad in their construction company, like this was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And so she really instilled a passion for, you know, hard work and meaningful work in me. Um, My kids, because they inspire me to see the joy in everyday life, which sometimes you forget to do, you know, (laughs) and just little things will get them so excited. And it's just like, yes, this is what life is all about. It's the little things that you can find joy in. Mm. And then for me, just because I'm a nature lover and Mm. one day I hope to discover my own fruit uh, is nature. Yeah, just nature and the beauty of nature inspires me to, you know, just sit back and, and do things that make me appreciate beauty and, you know, appreciate life. Wonderful. Ashi, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for taking Dami through this incredible journey that you've had with Traveling Spoon. Uh, oh, good luck. The and all the best. Mine, thank, thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.